Well, we, uh, we're excited that this week we will be pouring footings uh, at the property. And hey man, our RV sites are operational and, and uh, we've got a few RVs out there now and more to come. And uh, just want you to keep praying for progress. Um, we're trying to beat the rain because the more rain, the more potential for us to have to dig silt out of those ditches. The rebar's already in there. And we had a lot of great help. I don't know, I didn't get an exact count, but there must have been 15 to 20 out there, uh, folks, volunteers helping us. And so thank you, those that showed up, those of you that couldn't, we, we know you're there and, and support and your prayers, and so we're thankful for that. But it's coming along. Um, we've got an uh, electrician and a plumber secured. And i got to give God the glory because um, we started out with a budget in mind, hoping to be able to use volunteers on every area of the project. Yet, in, in our city, they, uh, even though other cities in the state kind of turn a blind eye sometimes to churches using unlicensed people for, for churches, to build churches, it's not that it's untypical, uh, but in our city, uh, it's not looked at highly. And so we, we were worried about that because electrical and plumbing are some of the most expensive parts of your, your project. And God, through, I was, I got to tell you, I was stressed in general to tell you, I, I had quite a few bids out there and, and just worried. Um, I shouldn't say that. I was just, I was just, I'm not trying to give myself some slack. I, I, it wasn't so much a worry, but a just, God, can you show me? I just want to answer. That's really what it was. It was a frustration wanting an answer. And you know, one of the least likely sources I thought we would go with, who I thought would be the highest bid, came in lower than even the guy that said, I'm going to try to use your volunteers even in some way. Somehow we're going to get that okay. And uh, a plumber who actually is on the church board for Bella Vista Assembly of God, um, uh, Brother Conklin, he's, uh, he's just served one year so far, but in that church, and he's donating so much that his bid was less than half of any other plumber. So between our electrician and plumber both kicking in to try to help the church, we are now only spending what we thought we'd spend on the, elect uh, the electrical for both plumbing and electrical. So we are, we are seeing things start to happen and God's answering. So I do want to challenge you. Um, those of you that don't know, we're, we're, we're really stretching ourselves. Uh, for us, $2,500 in a year is a lot when it's not been planned, but we've asked for 40 families to be able to pledge at least $2,500 of this next year towards a building project. That will raise $100,000, and we're believing that God will miraculously match that some way, somehow. And i got to tell you, the first 2000 that came in, a church in our area sent us $2,000 on the project. So someone's $2,500 that you pledge, God has already almost matched that, and uh, it's coming. And so I'm thanking God for that. Amen. Um, it's good to see Sandy and your mother, and glad to have you all here this morning. And um, I, I won't embarrass you, but there's a, there's a young man here that last time I saw him, he was a kid. He's a young man now. And uh, <laughs> uh, good to see quite a few faces in here that I recognize. And so I'm excited about today's message. And I really have struggled about how to open this up because um, I want you to know I'm not trying to sell anything here. We've got churches on every block in this uh, area of the country. And uh, it's really easy for you to look at a preacher and think, well, this is what he gets paid to do. He's here to try to convince me of something. And I've got to tell you, as I struggle with us, all I can tell you is, is I'm not presenting you anything other than God's Word this morning. And if God's Word can't convince you, I can't help you. I can't help you. God can't help you with your struggles unless His Word can impact you. And His Word has to be very intimate to you for it to impact you. That's why an atheist can know the Word of God better than you can. 
and yet you can't convince them because they aren't allowing it to be intimate. And I, I, I thought about uh, through this sermon, and before I get too much further in it, you know, some of the most uh, frustrating things for me in my life are, are some of the ones that, uh, let me give you an example. So uh, I went to stay in my dad's camper trailer, his RV, out of the property to kind of watch things because our RV mass volunteers, they went back home for the weekend. And, and uh, so staying out there just to make sure their, their RV is safe and my dad's is. And, and uh, I took my first shower out there. And, um, you know, you get used to, we built our own home several years ago. And um, we got a hot water heater like any other place, right? How many likes, uh, you know, hot water? warm water and take a shower, right? Those cold ones make it a little rough. You get started. It helps you get started. It does. But um, it doesn't always give you the best mood getting started. And uh, so, um, you know, I get used to my house. I don't go in. I, the only thing I had to turn on when I get in the shower at my home is I turn the little knob and get the water on, right? And so I did just that when I got in the RV. I'm like, oh, good grief. Hot water heater's not working. And I powered through that shower. I um, mean, come out probably blue as raspberry popsicle, but I was, I was, uh, I, I was thinking about that. And you know, then I, I found, uh, Dad, you didn't think you had coffee out there. I found the coffee, and as I found the coffee, I found the switch that said hot water heater. <laughs> and what? Come on. And you know, those things are obvious right there in front of my face because I made coffee, and the switch is right there, a big switch. In fact, there's two. I don't know why there's two, but there's two switches: the hot water heater. I, I did that though accidentally, so I hope I didn't mess anything up. But I. I turned them on because I was going to make sure I had hot water next time, but they're right there in front of my face. But, you know, you get so used to, and just, and just living in a house and not living in an RV, I get used to, if I just turn on the water, hot water, I've got hot water. And so, you know, it didn't it dawn on me that, hey, this is a different type of setup, and there may be a switch somewhere. There's switches everywhere in that place, not all of them are labeled. And so, um, but that one, that, one, that one was labeled. And so, you know, those obvious things. Um, you know, it's kind of like when you owned a vehicle, when we bought the Passat that's supposed to be Jen's car that I drive a lot because my truck breaks down. and So driving it, and all of a sudden one day we're like, you know, there's this, there's this uh, little slide-in thing for umbrella, for a nice little size umbrella in the door panel for you to, so when you get out of the car, you can grab that or you can put it down there, and I'm assuming it probably has a drain, you know, German engineering, it's great, and put it in there. And, you know, I put a... Uh, I put one that's too short in there, and I can't get my hand in the hole to get the, to get the umbrella in there. And it's frustrating forever, and I, I probably skinned my knuckles several times trying to get in that. And one day I'm trying to search for something down in, there's a pocket in front of it, door pocket, searching for something in there, and I feel this little latch thing, and I pull it, and boom, and the umbrella slides right out into the tray. And I'm thinking, how smart is that that they made it where you can put it in their drain and then when you get inside, when you need to get outside, you don't have to wait till you get out in the rain. Why would, why would you do that? You have to get wet. You can pull that little lever and just grab it inside. And I'm thinking, boy, that would have been nice to find. But those things are right in front of you. But, you know, I, we hadn't had the car very long. And as you have those cars, sometimes you discover stuff. Like, all this time, I didn't know it had this. I didn't know it had that. It's kind of like, you know, with Jen, we've been married for years. And all of a sudden, one time in the summer, I realized, you got freckles. You know, because ladies, you put makeup on and you hide some of those things. But you know, one time she didn't have she didn't have makeup on and and she has freckles and I can see them a little bit here when she gets out in the sun. And that was really I think that's cute. I like that. I like the freckles on her face. But I had been I had been very close to her face many times, many times, and had never seen the freckles. But but that came from the more intimate our relationship got, and over time I started seeing the freckles. 
but I didn't even notice. They, I really not didn't give any thought. I didn't give any significance to that. I never really gave significance to what was on her face. I just moved towards the lips. Sorry, very PG. But when we begin to connect with the intimacy of our surroundings and take into account the significance of the relationship of those things around us, we begin to see things that were right in front of our face we never saw before. And yet, it can be so close and remain unnoticed. So intimate, yet unnoticed. So imminent, yet not recognized. Because you didn't see it doesn't mean it's not there. So I want to go on a walk today. I'm going to be your tour guide. We're going to take a seven-mile hike. Um, I'm starting to get fired up as me and the boys have been going to the pool, and I've learned and reconnected with push-ups and, and those type of things. I'm still too heavy to do pull-ups, but I can push, push my body weight off the ground. I just can't pull it up in the sky, but I'm working on that. And so now, if I haven't injured my ankle, I'll find out tomorrow if it's, or my foot, if it's fractured or not for sure. But um, if not, I'm looking forward to getting to running. I'm thinking about staying out that property, getting in the morning and running those dirt piles and remind myself what it was like to be in the Navy and get back in shape. But, but uh, we're taking a seven-mile journey this morning. And so I want to take you on that journey. Are you ready? Are you ready? Okay. We're going to go uh, Luke chapter 24, the Maus Road. We're going to look at a journey to the Maus Road. See, Jesus only has 40 days. He has, he has been crucified. He has been buried in the tomb and he has risen. And now Jesus only has 40 days before he's going to ascend back to the, the throne of heaven. He's going to be there by the Father. And he has 40 days. And he's gone. He's taken the keys to death, hell, and the grave. Um, uh, no one, that means no one can die on this earth after that without uh, being according to God's perfect plan. Satan cannot kill you without God's okay. You cannot die of natural causes without God's okay. You can't stay in the grave if he doesn't will it. He's taking the keys to death, hell, and the grave. No one can go to hell unless God allows it. And no one can stay in the grave. If God doesn't want you to stay in the grave, you're not going to stay in the grave. He's risen, and literally that all of hell and demons and the devil are trembling because the temple they thought they had destroyed has rebuilt himself. And he is risen. He's risen from the grave. This is awesome. There should be at least an amen. He's risen. And the women who went to the tomb, and it's Sunday morning, and they brought some burial spices to try to keep the tomb smelling nice because they're obviously going there to visit. And uh, so they're bringing these uh, spices. But they wouldn't need them because the angel of the Lord was there saying, why do you look for the living amongst the dead? So this seven-mile journey, seven-mile miracle, right in front of your face is a miracle. Uh, if it was a snake, it would have bit them as we get in this story. Maybe we're missing the power and the presence of the resurrected Jesus, the resurrected uh, resurrection power of God. Maybe uh, we're missing it because um, we're looking for a living God in a dead place. Uh, we're, we're looking for a living God in a dead relationship. We're looking for a living, uh, living God in a dead internet. We're looking for a living God in a dead religion. We're looking for a living God in, in that which is dead. So maybe right in front of our face, a living God, yet we're missing 
Him. We're not seeing Him. A relationship with God is not meant to be an add-on or accessory, but a life-saving, life-giving, refreshing, living water um, relationship with God. And so he's got to get on the road and get the message about what has been done because, see, he spent all that time teaching and going and healing and doing miracles, and now the, what it all led to, his death, burial, and resurrection. But what will that be if he doesn't show up again to tell them, see, I told you so. I told you so. And so he has to go and show the world that, that they, so they'll believe and have the proof of his powerful resurrection. So he's got to go. And what should he do first? I mean, that, that's the real question here. You've, you've had this three years of this supernatural, powerful ministry. You've risen from the dead. Where do you go first? He has to reveal himself. And he has to figure out where... I mean, death couldn't hold him. The tomb cannot keep him. And the grave was borrowed because it wasn't needed for very long. So where does he go and what does he do? Well, he starts on the road to Emmaus. And see, the interesting thing about Emmaus is it was insignificant. In fact, Emmaus was so insignificant, there's not enough archaeological details left for them to really know where it's at. If you go get a tour guide in Israel and go on one of the Holy Land tours, now they'll tell you where they think Emmaus is, but the truth is there's really not enough proof because there wasn't anything significant enough about Emmaus to tell you where it's at. And this is the road that Jesus is on. I mean, you'd think this is this day and time. I don't know how to equate this to Jesus' time. But listen, if you just had all that happen, you died and resurrected, wouldn't you just go and get on like Al Jazeera TV? When you get on a talk show, wouldn't you get on something? Broadcast it, make sure everybody gets it real quick. you got 40 days and you're on this road that's really a road to nowhere. And today, even if you don't know, you didn't know where the book of Luke is in your Bible, I just want you to walk with me. I think the most important thing about this message and about what the Spirit of the Lord is stirring in me today is that we try to make following Jesus so complicated when really it is just a journey, it's a walk. We're walking together. So in this passage... There's these two travelers on this road, which to this point in, in, in where we will go in the passage, they're nameless. I mean, later we'll get one name of them, and, uh, name of them and, but, but right now they're nameless. So he's on this nameless road, this small dirty road on a place to nowhere, and two nameless travelers. And Jesus, on the day of his resurrection, with only 40 days to spare in the world, that's how he's spending it these two nameless travelers on this nameless road to a place going nowhere. And, and here's the thing, why not use somebody of notoriety? I mean, Peter has been peppered all through the story of Jesus' ministry. Get Peter. Get loudmouth Peter, and I don't mean that in a negative sense. Peter, remember, I keep saying this, I'm trying to help you give what, now I'm not telling you this is all correct, but my opinion of characters in the Bible, um, Danny and Nathan and uh, Andrew and I were talking about Paul. And they were kind of surprised by my take on Paul. But, but Peter, you know, I've given this analogy to try to get you in the mind of Peter. Peter's a guy, you're in the classroom. How many have heard this example, right? I've told you over and over. You're in the classroom, right? And the final exam's coming up. And the teacher's giving instructions for the final exam, but you take a little mental holiday at the wrong time. And you're looking outside counting birds or whatever you're doing. 
and the teacher gets done, is what you're hearing, and then boom, she's done, said, okay, now if you don't get that correct, you're going to fail the final, and you're like, I didn't listen, but you're like, I could raise my hand, but I'm going to look stupid, right? And, and you're about to try to just take your chance, raise your hand, you're thinking, maybe I'll try to catch the teacher after, so at least I'm just stupid to one person. And then all of a sudden, there's a person in class say, hey, yeah, I'm sorry, I, I missed most of that. Can you go over that again? And you're like, whew, I'm glad that they sacrificed themselves for me, right? That's Peter. Peter's the one that speaks up and, and says something just in, you know, basically on behalf of everybody. He's the one in the classroom saying, hey, I'm sure I'm not the only one that missed this. But why not get Peter? Why these two nameless travelers? So it just seems like there's a lot of insignificance, you know, in, in where Jesus is heading and who he's talking to. And so we really don't know where this Emmaus is, but, but we know it was insignificant. So why would Jesus do this? And we look for a God many times in places we think are significant. I mean, we think God has to be in a stadium with a well-known preacher to be able to find him. We, we got to rally our friends and travel three hours to go hear this preacher because that's where God is, right? Or is it more that we just like to have our ears tickled? Or, and I'm not putting down a preacher, but I'm just saying a lot of times we, we really in our hearts and minds, we may not come out and say it, but what we say is we think we have to go to somewhere significant to find God. We, we have to go to that, that certain uh, mega church to find God. And, and I love some mega churches. Me and Jen met there. We wouldn't have met if it hadn't been for a mega church. I was serving at one and and loved it. But we just think that God is only in the significant places. We, we almost need like, you know, think Jesus needs to win an Oscar for the, the best resurrection, you know? Uh, the nominee, Jesus, you know, for best resurrection. And, and we think this is like, you know, that there's a big pomp and circumstance to this, but, but Jesus is finding himself on a very insignificant place with what appears to be not given a lot of significance to even the names of these people. And here where they're walking from is Jerusalem. They're going away from Jerusalem. I mean, this is a place where Pentecost will happen, where the Holy Spirit will come on the believers, and they'll go from hiding out, fearful that what happened to Jesus will happen to them, to being like, go ahead, bring it on. I'm going to tell everybody about Jesus. And they're walking away from that place of significance. Wouldn't you think if you just rose from the dead, uh, the grave of this notable city and this is where a bunch of controversy happened and everything you want to show back in front of the naysayers there first and say ha ha go ahead try it again let's go around too if you want but I'm gonna keep coming back but Jesus disappears almost into obscurity and so it brings us to this moment these men these people are walking along on that same day and so this picture is now as two things are happening at once. The eternal word of God, which is Jesus. Jesus is the word, and the word is God, and full of the glory and grace and truth. He trampled sin, death, hell, and the grave. I mean, all of that that we talked about. He made a mockery of Satan and those who handed him over to, uh, to um, the, the religious leaders who handed him over for his death. I mean, they're going to be bending their knee and saying, uh, holy is he one day. They're going to have to... Uh, confess that he's Lord no matter whether they go to heaven or hell that everybody's knee will bow and then he's going to ascend to the right hand of the Father most scholars would say that these two people were probably a husband and wife and the reason is that because later we find out um, 
this guy, they tell his name, but they don't mention the other traveler. And in this culture, women were known to be insignificant. So not the fault of the writer, not like the writer was being chauvinist, okay? The writer, more than likely, as this story got repeated, the writer didn't have access to the name because the lady's name's left out. So we're thinking this is probably Cleopas. Well, we're going to call him Cleo because that's probably what his friends call him, right? Cleo for short. So we'll call him Cleo. So Cleo and Mrs. Cleo are walking. And so in this moment, Jesus just walks up to them. Jesus just walks up to them and they're talking and interrupts them. And so in this moment, they are on this walk and they're talking about the things that have happened to Jesus. They are discussing all that has just happened. And Jesus basically walks up and says, what y'all talking about? Now keep in mind, this is a creator God, right? Jesus, son of God and the Trinity. He's, he's there. He was there at the beginning of creation. He, he was there when Cleo and Mrs. Cleo were, were formed in the mother's womb. Um, he lived what happened in Jerusalem and his own you know, death, burial, and resurrection. And he walks up and says, what y'all talking about? And it says that his identity that was hidden from them. That, that the recognition of who Christ was was hidden from them. So these are those who, who knew of Jesus. They're, they're talking about, hey, we thought that this was going to be the guy that was going to set up his kingdom and kick the Romans' tail and finally end our oppression. And then he's killed. So they're, they're telling Jesus about Jesus. They're telling Jesus, you know, there's this guy, Jesus, and he was a prophet, since you don't know. But, but firstly, first, there's this comment that really gets me. They say, are you the only person that doesn't know what happened in Jerusalem? Are, are you the only person that hasn't heard this? So they're, they're telling Jesus as if he's an outsider, as if he's a visitor. Well, I'm trying to tell you that this perfect, flawless son of God turned his back on Jerusalem, the one place where he could have got some vindication for what they did to him. He set out on a road towards an unknown place, followed by two people we've never met before because, and then because he is not the God of arrival, he's the God of the first step, the second step, the third step. He's a God of a journey that he takes us on. God doesn't get to the end of the road and wait till we get there to interact with us. He meets us on the road that we're on. He's with me when I'm right. He's with me when I'm wrong. He's with me when I'm going forward. He's with me when I'm going backwards. He's with me when I'm stuck. He's with me when I'm crawling. He's with me when I'm strong. He's with me when I'm weak. He walks with me. He talks with me. This is the Jesus that we know. And we realize they're walking the wrong way. I mean, these folks, you know, if, if someone, if your, your Jesus had been crucified and buried, and then they can't find him, because, see, they're telling them about the fact that women went, hey, they didn't find him there. And so they're, they're still, you know, they're downtrodden, they're, their faces are low, and they're telling Jesus about this. But if they really had faith, why wouldn't they have gone to Jerusalem and wait? I mean, Rose, again, let's just wait where you last saw us, right? And let's, let's meet up with him again. But they're, they've lost their faith. If they really believed what was going, that he was going to raise from the dead, they would have stayed in Jerusalem, but they didn't. 
They were walking from the place of significance and intimacy in, in their life to a place that had nothing going for it. This is a place that wouldn't even be found on the map eventually, and that's where they're headed. That's where they're going after this significant thing that happened in their life. And God followed them to the wrong place. Because grace will chase you down. How many know that? Grace will chase you down. You know, often when Jennifer and I, someone says, can you pray for my unsaved loved one or someone at work? I, I don't believe in, in having prayers that are cookie-cutter prayers. Like, you say these words and God does this. Now, I believe God gives us instruction as word how to pray in sometimes, but, but there's not these cookie-cutter prayers because if you do that, it becomes a, relation, a religion, not a relationship. If you do that, you become on autopilot instead of really having conversations with God. And so one thing I always pray is, God, not, don't let them look to the front, to the back, left, right, up, down. No matter where they look, I pray they'll run into a believer, a true child of yours, who will tell them the truth in love. You know how many times people come back and say, you know what, I think that they went to, went to church with a co-worker. There's a co-worker that started working on them, or, or such and such. But, but someone comes along, God answers. Sometimes they show up here. But God followed them to the wrong place. See, we look for God in the dramatic, but he's often found in the details. We, we look, to look for God in the places where we can actually feel some fuzzy doodads going up our spine because of maybe the music, right? Nothing wrong with good worship music. Let's go where we feel the fuzzy doodads and find him in the, in the um, dramatic, but often he's in the details. Emmaus wasn't where they're having the next big crusade with thousands of people coming in for a rally after Jesus' death just to say, well, let's carry on the torch, let's just keep it going. Let's keep the fire burning. They're really walking on a road with their tail tucked between their legs, just heading back to a place that had nothing going on. They're going back to their small, small place just to sulk. So we're talking about destination. God doesn't meet you where, you, where we arrive. He meets you on your way and often in the detours. The detours are the part of your journey that, that you didn't ask for, you didn't plan for, you didn't want. It's kind of like when, when the, the fish and the loaves, and Jesus tells the disciples, feed these people, they're hungry. Or they said, Jesus, they're hungry, don't we need to feed them? Well, feed them. And he's like, you didn't tell us to bring food? And he says, you see those loaves and fishes? I already brought the food. I'm just telling you to feed them. I'm the provider. You act off of my what, what, what I tell you, what I direct you, what I live before you. Feed these people. Jesus said one time, I need to go through Samaria. And that's not the most direct route to where he is headed. But you see, Jesus is often not the most efficient according to us. Now, I'm not calling Jesus not efficient. I'm saying according to us, Jesus is not always efficient. I prayed this morning that I'd get the promotion at noon and it didn't come. I didn't get it. Apparently, Jesus isn't efficient. I guess I didn't give him enough notice. So when I, I lean on my own understanding, when I lean on my own understanding, the Bible says lean not to your own understanding because, because here's the thing. When you're on a journey with Jesus, your understanding grows as you go. Your understanding will grow as you go. So every step you take in your journey, your understanding grows in Christ. 
And that's really what discipleship is about. I've had some discussions recently with our RV map folks. We were the role letters. We went to dinner. When was that? Thursday evening. Went to dinner. And they were asking me about discipleship. And I'm just going to be honest with you, like I've been honest before, and I've told some of our key volunteers, we are suffering in the area of discipleship. And you know, what I've done is, before I've tried getting the programs, let's see what's out there for churches on discipleship. Let's find the step one, two, three. Nothing wrong with those things, but I'm just telling you my journey. And I go through and I look at that, and you know, you'd, you'd get somebody a book, and you tell them to read that, and we'll get back together and go over it. Or, or do this, you know, or we'll, we'll get down. And, and you know what I found is, as we're scheduling this little bit of time in our lives to do our discipleship and give them a book and give them a few answers, and then now you go figure it out on your own, that they feel like they're being maybe taught something, but they don't feel like they're in your life. That the way Jesus did discipleship is he walked up and said, come follow me. In other words, I'm going to make my life a part of your life. We're going to mix those two, and we're going to be side by side through a lot of things. And I don't know where the church as a whole stopped doing that, I don't know if it's in my generation before, maybe before the United States was formed. I don't know where we really got that. But you know, I've harped on that. Until you know the name of the person that's sitting across the aisle from you, until you know what's going on in their family, until you know where they live and been in their home and broke bread together, until this church does that, we're not a community of believers. We're not a body of Christ. We're just a crowd. And I'm not trying to be harsh because it's okay. Churches have to move from one point to the other. And that's part of the hard part of my job is trying to help move people from one place to the other. But I'm telling you, I'll keep harping on it because until we're doing that, God can't use us further. How are you going to reach the person in your workplace or your unsaved loved one if you can't take the time when someone's sitting about 15 feet from you in a service to walk over and get to know them, invite them over and say, let's break bread. We're brothers and sisters of Christ. Let's find out about each other. The same thing Jen and I said about when we felt like we are called to missions. And we realized, where's our fruit? There's no disciples around us. We don't have disciples. So what makes us think we're going to go all the way to some other culture where it's harder on us to make friends, and all of a sudden we're going to have disciples? So see, this is where a lot of us start shutting off because I'm going to tell you what might be going on inside you right now, okay? We're, we're not doing the psychologist couch, all right? I'm not sitting here taking notes. But just let me help you out for a minute because I've been there. What probably goes on inside of us is we start letting condemnation, let the devil start speaking to us and feel like because we haven't, now pastors tell me I haven't been doing something, the church isn't, so now I'm, I'm shutting off, I'm putting the wall up. And see, that's exactly what Satan wants us to do, is look at something that seems hard, that seems difficult, and to run away. But yet all his scripture talks about being warriors for Christ, put on full armor, that you're in for a fight. And guess what? Warriors are fired through adversity. Warriors are, are, are born, bred, and brought up through the hard stuff. That if you don't go through the hard stuff, you'll never, you'll, you'll back off every time. God's got to take you through things a step by step, a little bit of time to where he hardens you up enough for the fight. And if every time you run across something that's difficult for you in your personality or your, you know, how you've lived your life or how your family brought you up and, and you come against that and say, you know what, that's just not me, and you draw that line in the sand, I keep saying this over and over, then what you do is you circumvent, you stop the spiritual growth that God's trying to do in your life and you've just cut, you've just cut off the growth. And then we turn around and guess what happens? 
why am I not growing spiritually? Why am I just, I'm just not being fed where I'm at? I guess I'll go try somewhere else. And we go there, and it's like, I'm not getting fed there. And I guess I'll go somewhere else. And, I'm, and, and we just get in this perpetual thing, and we're not growing. We're not, nothing's really changing our spiritual walk greatly. My, we might see a little thing here and there, like I learned a little more of God's Word, and maybe I, I took a little chance and went out and did some door-to-door knocking. But, but we just really, a decade will pass in our Christian walk, and we'll still not see disciples, and it won't trouble us. And it gets quiet in here because I'm, I'm with you. I'm telling you, that baptismal hasn't been in here in a long time, and we had it in here a lot. And we moved it yesterday to put a bunch of stuff in a storage unit where we probably don't over here next to us. We're not paying on one, but we stuffed a bunch of stuff in there. We'll use and some stuff we won't, but it really troubles me that that baptismal isn't out here every Sunday. That's not needed every Sunday. And I take great responsibility on myself for that. And I cry out to God, God, what am I doing wrong? what is wrong with the words that I'm saying? And I'm way off track from my notes, but I'm just going to tell you that this troubles me, not just for this church. Listen, I talk to other pastors. I'm not pointing my finger just at you. As a church as a whole, there are churches that are, there are some that are, but, but we're struggling as a body of believers to really, what's happened? What's happened where we become okay with not, not seeing any changes in people's lives? What's happened where we'll, we'll just turn and go to the road of insignificance and go to a place where it's not even going to be on the map later in our lives or in eternity and we'll, and we'll spend our time walking this road with our heads down just going over all the things that went wrong. And Jesus is right there and he's right there in our face yet we can't recognize him. His spirit, his presence is right there in front of us and we can't recognize it. We'll be in a worship, a worship service where, where the spirit of God's moving and it's just almost ripping my heart out of me and yet people can just stand there and, and totally be numb to it. I don't understand why people raise their hands. I don't go for that. I don't understand why people have to holler out every once in a while, Jesus, when it's not in the words in the song. I don't understand why pastor says sometimes, even though it's not what he grew up doing, he just feels like running through the aisles. Because that was the nutty people to me before. But listen, God's changing things in me. He's breaking me down. And, and let me tell you something. I want to I warn you. Some of my biggest spiritual battles have happened just on the front side of him changing me. Things I thought I'd never struggle with again, I start to, this, the saint starts trying to bring them up. I mean, he's trying so hard. And if I don't, in a moment of clarity, recognize that there's a spiritual realm around me and realize what's going on, I'll just go feed myself with what Satan's trying to feed me and defeat myself. And then all of a sudden, I don't feel worthy to worship him. And I back away, and the thing he wanted to change in me, I sold for a few shekels of what the devil had for me. See, these two people on this journey, they apparently knew what it was to experience Jesus, but they, their hope wasn't really rooted because, listen, their hope would have still lasted. A, a real hope says on Friday, when I think my, sa- my salvation has been crucified, has you still holding on on Sunday, says, I, but I, I won't give up because I believe. See, hope is not about what is seen, but what is unseen. So, listen, what if Christianity is a journey and not a destination? Because I'm going to challenge you to to think for a minute. 
in your own life and what you see in church today, do we treat it like a journey or a destination? Now listen, it's going to be easy to say, oh, we treat it like a journey, Pastor. We're, we're here every Sunday. I mean, we're coming. We're, you know, I'm doing things, right? right? We're do- yeah, but I'm saying in your heart, do you feel like when you accepted the Lord that you completed all the tasks? And now it's about just doing whatever keeps pastor of the church kind of going and happy but it's not really being driven within me because I'm on a journey what if salvation was a starting block not a finish line what if God is not done with you what if you don't have to find out what if you don't have to find out at the end but step by step what if you don't have to know the reasons of everything to step out on the road and this is one I want to touch on for just a minute Listen, I preached a sermon before where I told you the story about how I, I kept having this pattern of not having a sermon until the end of the week. And Fridays were supposed to be our day off. And I, it was another Friday. I'm sitting in the office instead of with my family because God didn't give me a sermon. I'm frustrated. And literally, I started to kind of just toss things around, like, you know, on the floor. I'm just mad. And crossed my arms like, God, I'm just not going to move. Until you give me something, I'm not going to sit here and I'm not going to try to look at sermons online. I'm not going to try to fish for something. I'm just sitting here until you tell me what you want me to say. And you guys, some of you know the story. The door popped open and a gentleman who was alcoholic I've been dealing with before, been gone seven months, shows up and it just basically takes over the weekend. (laughs) But from that journey, from taking a step with him, God gave me the message for Sunday. So the message wasn't in me trying to understand. It was in me being available. And where many of you get scared about what God's going to do with you, it's not about you figuring it out ahead of time because that will scare you. That's why God doesn't want to tell you because it will scare you and it will scare you away from it. God knows your, your abilities. He knows your limitations. And he's not going to feed you everything because if he did, sometimes Jonah knew what God wanted him to do and what did Jonah do? It was abundantly clear to Jonah what God wanted him to do and what did Jonah do? He ran from it. God's trying to help you out sometimes by not giving you an understanding about everything that's going on. It just says, will you just step out? Will you just walk with me? It's just seven miles. Will you walk with me? That's all these two were doing. They were just stepping. They were walking. They didn't invite Jesus. I mean, they didn't pray to Jesus. They didn't go to church. They didn't sing a hymn. They didn't memorize a scripture. They didn't even become partners at New Song, even though you should do that. But they didn't do that. And as they did, they walked, and they walk along the road, and this insignificant place called Emmaus. So as I'm walking, I'm raising my kids, I'm going to my job, I'm doing all the main mundane stuff towards this place, Emmaus, this seven-mile journey. And I'm glad he put the detail in there about it being a seven-mile journey because in the Bible, seven is the number of completion. In six days, he created the world. On the seventh day, he rested, not because he was tired, but because he was done. And so they're going along the road, and so tap someone on the shoulder real quick to wake them up and say, I'm going somewhere. And if they're sleeping, they're going to turn around like, where are you going? And I don't have to know the destination because every detour, he will direct my path. The Bible says that he will direct my path. And so even when I'm on the detours or the crooked path or whatever it is, in Proverbs 5.3, says he will direct my path. And seven being the number of completion, we know at the end of the seven-mile journey, Jesus was going to end the journey with them. And because of time, I'm going to fast forward a little bit because, because the interesting thing is, is that 
that Jesus, they, they were, his identity was hidden from them as they were going over all the things that went wrong and focused on that instead of focused on what he had told them what he taught them. And so I believe that the reason that his identity was hid from them is because their focus was in the wrong place. They were letting their focus override hope and kill their hope. But guess what? Jesus goes with them and finally at the end, Jesus acts like he's going to move on and they say, hey, please eat with us, stay with us. And Jesus also challenged before there, hey, didn't you hear all the things that, that the prophet Jesus said? Didn't you hear all those things? But he goes to eat bread with them at the end or goes to break bread with them. And all of a sudden they recognize who he is and then boom, he's gone. And I think it's so interesting that when they finally quit focusing on all their woes and focused on the traveler, which Jesus had taught them, always be looking out for that other person. Go and make disciples. Go and, and build relationships. Love your enemies. It's all about us connecting together. That, that's the whole of the gospel. Do you understand why I say it's important that you know the names of the people around you? Because I know if you don't, then you won't do it other places. If you don't do it when it's easier because you have something in common, you're all believers, you won't do it elsewhere. So everything about the gospel is about us connecting each other. And when did they recognize who Jesus was? When they finally let go of everything. He spoke the truth to them, and the truth set them free. And their eyes were opened. And they saw Jesus for who he was. And I'm going to just challenge you this. Whether you want to admit it to everybody else or not, I probably would say be careful who you admit to. But if you feel like your insides are dried up, your spirit is dried up, maybe you've never, you're having trouble even understanding what I'm talking about. You've never experienced God in a place where you get up in the morning and he puts a song in your heart and drives you to your knees because his presence is so strong while you're sleeping that you walk into a place of worship and you can tell if God is there or he's not. You don't have to worry about church shopping because you can walk in and know that you know that God is there. And if God is there, you know difficult relationships will be there. And if difficult relationships are there, then God has put the challenge ahead of you, but you're not just going nowhere. You're not going to Emmaus. You're right where he wants you. He's meeting you on your detour. He's going to tell you all about it. He's going to give you the truth that's going to set you free. And when you decide to finally break those walls down and get together with others and break bread and do what Jesus told you to do and make disciples, your eyes will be opened and you'll see him for who he is. And if your relationship with him will come alive, I'm, I'm telling you, your relationship with him will come alive. Will you always, will you always do what's right? No, I fail him. And it breaks my heart when I fail him. Sometimes I hide out full well knowing I'm about to fail him. And it's because that nature in me just says, you know what, I feel like such a failure. I'm just going to try to put the fig leaves on and hide in the garden from him and do my own thing. And then God comes up, you know, like as if he doesn't already know what's going on. He says, what are you talking about, CJ? What are you talking about? And I start trying to tell God all about him right you know well this this has been my life god you got to understand and, and he's saying i know i've been there the whole time i lived it i lived it with you and you're all worried about me trying to understand i lived it with you and before i lived that with you i went through something much harder than you ever understand so i get it and i love you and i know and it's okay i just don't want you to give up i don't want you to lose hope I want you to lose your faith. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, I thank you for what you're doing, Lord, through your word in me and through others. That, God, we don't 
Lord, we don't let it just be words. Your word won't return void, but God, our hearts have a choice to reject or accept your word. Lord, if we accept the truth, then what your scripture says, it sets us free. Free from what? Well, Lord, we want to think that we're free because we can leave here on our own free will. We can get in our vehicles and drive wherever we want to with our own free will. We can go to our homes, which we have paid for and we've worked hard for and all those things that we have done. And we, 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 but when we lay our heads on the pillow at night, when we lay our heads down at night or we get a quiet moment where no one else is speaking to us, no one else around, and our hearts begin to communicate with our heads, the heart that you created, and we begin to think over our lives and we begin to see the things, Lord, that we are in bondage over. Lord, those relationships where we're talking sharply to our loved ones and we can't keep doing it. We can't understand why do we do that? Why do we treat them that way? We know it's wrong, but when they get in front of us, there's just those things that aggravate us. And it's because we have focused so much on those insignificant things that we miss, we miss you in there. We, we miss the fact, we, we, we struggle over those things that we're focused on on our spouses that, that annoy us and we miss the fact that God has brought us a wonderful person to grow together with. Example after example, Lord, where when we are quiet before you and we can finally hear your, the voice of the Holy Spirit, we know what's wrong in our lives just here we're in protection mode God because there's other people around and you know this and your Holy Spirit knows this and so we just pray that the Holy Spirit right now would be able to break down the barriers that we put up and we'd be willing to leave here different why carry the burden out the door why go lay your head down tonight and be the same he's got so much more for you He's God of the details. Turn the details over to Him. All you got to do is walk. All you got to do is step out. All you got to do is start on that journey. It's just seven miles. Just, just begin to walk step by step. He'll grow you. He's not at the other end waiting for you to get there. He's not sitting in heaven waiting for you to just reach that finish line. He wants you to run the race, but He's right there with you. With heads bowed and eyes closed, I want to give a chance today if there's someone here today and you say I have not made a commitment to Christ as my Lord and Savior my best friend the one that sticks closer than brother the one that will that will be there with me in those quiet times when I'm at war with the enemy in my spirit but I want I want to have a relationship with him I want to know that when I when I speak to the the unseen and the unknown that when I speak to the heavens I speak to my Lord and Savior Jesus that that not only did I know He hears me, but I begin to see Him interact real time. Listen, I just, while you're still praying before the Lord, I want to tell you, Jen and I have been praying very specific prayers, and God's been answering them so quickly, so obviously, that when we tell others about it, there's no question that God, whether God's interacting with us or not. He wants that for you. He wants you to speak His name and the power of His name interact in your life. So if you're here this morning and you want to make a commitment to follow Christ, for him to be a, a friend that sticks closer than a brother, I want you to just raise your hand so I can pray for you and pray with you. Amen. Amen. You can put your hand down. Amen. For all the, all the rest of us, if you say this morning, this is one time I'm going to ask you to also uh, react to this. If you're here this morning and say, you know what? 
I want Him to be the Lord of my details. I don't, I don't want to, to not recognize His presence when it's right here. If you're here this morning, you say, I want to know His presence. When it's there, I want to recognize His presence. I want you to raise your hand. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. For the, for the one that wanted to, to receive the Lord as our Lord and Savior, you use your own words, but I'm going to pray, and you can pray along with me. Jesus, I need you. I want you. I want you to be my Lord and Savior. I believe in you, and I confess with my mouth that you are Lord. In Jesus' name. And the... And the Bible says that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life and that, that no one, only your free will can take you away from God, but no one, even Satan, cannot snatch you from his hand. And the rest of you, let's pray this together. Dear Lord, I need your presence. Every day, every hour, every minute. I don't want to come to the point where I don't recognize you when you're there. Lord, open my eyes. Open my eyes to what you're doing in my life. Open my eyes I may see. Open my eyes that I may react, God. Open my eyes I may serve you in the way that you want me to. Lord, open my eyes I may fulfill the call you have on my life, whatever that may be. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love y'all. The, the altars are always open if you want to spend time in the altars. Um, look forward to seeing y'all Wednesday night, 6.30, for more time in God's Word and Bible study. Love you. Have a great Sunday.